So th there are many types of blindness, aren't there? Bullies, for example, they are blind to the pain and destruction they cause when they're trying to achieve their goals. Ordinary people, they can have blindness if they just uncritically accept the opinions of others without saying, hold on, how did they get to that point? Let me see their sources of information. Let me weigh it up. And, and guarding the sources of your information is one of the increasingly important things in our modern age, isn't it? You hear stuff on YouTube, there's a, there's a lot of stuff out there. Weigh up who is saying this, what authority do they have to say it? That's a critical thing because if you just accept things blindly, you can't see. You just go on with what you've heard and say, oh, that's good enough for me. Well, it might not be actually accurate. Another blindness is people who just have strong opinions about things because they can be blind to the fact that there might be another opinion on this. There's a certain blindness which is that in our human spirit we are inclined to let ourselves off because, oh, well, I made a bit of a mistake, I'll get better next time. But when you see somebody else making a mistake and getting better next time, you just say, oh, no, write them off. They don't know what they're doing. It's too easy to write off in others what you accept in yourself. That's a blindness. And as has been said many a time over the years, denial is not just the river in Egypt. All of us are blind to some aspect of ourself because we can't... Anybody here got the capacity to turn your head around and see your back? No. <laughs> There's parts of us you can't see. That's a blindness. And one of the most incredible things that Jesus does is he removes blindness. We see that in John chapter 9, verse 39. For judgment I've come into the world so that the blind will see. And then the other side, and those who see will become blind. So those who've got their opinion and don't confuse me with facts, they will remain blind. So of all the blindnesses we talked about, what type of blindness does Jesus remove? And that's an important question. Because many people have been wanting God to remove blindnesses that he never promised to remove. In fact, because they're actually fairly blind to God, their blindness to what he's really like, his real character and his nature, leads them to want all sorts of things from God and then they don't get what they think they ought to have got and therefore they blame him for things that he never said he would do. And blindness is a manifestation, a showing of deep yearnings within us. Because within just about all of us is this deep yearning for something more, something extra. And we're often groping about blindly to find this something extra that's going to satisfy our deep yearnings. That's going to make us feel whole or together or satisfied. C.S. Lewis described it this way. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for that desire exists. So a baby feels hungry. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there's such a thing as sex. And he says, if I find in myself a desire 
which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made for another world. So this desire for illumination to see, the desire to see how to satisfy our deep inner yearnings, that's a really strong thing. And sadly, there's an enemy to this. He's prowling around like a roaring lion and he's really, really creative in providing attractive alternative solutions, which he says, this is going to remove your blindness. A couple of examples of the current things that say this will remove your blindness, fulfill your deep inner yearnings. The modern gender theory. Oh, you're unfulfilled because you're the wrong gender or you're trapped in a different body. Marxism and communism, they're closely related things where the good of the whole is more important than the good of the individual. They say, this is the problem. Capitalism is the reason your life is miserable. Rise up and revolt. And then if you go into the new age, how creative of there. Your deep inner yearnings will be uh, satisfied by uh, you're in pain, put crystals on your body. Breathe these aromas in aromatherapy. Oh, the tarot cards, they'll tell you stuff. Oh, food, you need to eat this food. You need to change your diet. Uh, there's so many alternatives that claim that they will cure the blindness, they will satisfy the deep yearnings of your soul. And against everything there, we have a very simple statement from the Bible. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I, not gender theory, not crystals. I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. And if we tie that verse together with the one we started with, John chapter 9 verse 39, so the blind will see and those who see will become blind, you know, the way and the truth and the life, it's tied in with uh, seeing and overcoming blindness. If we do that, then we'll come to understand that the only way that our blindness is overcome, that we find the deep yearnings of our soul, is when we come through the Father, come, come through Jesus to the Father. Our blindness is removed when we come into a relationship with God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And that is deeply deeply profound and deeply, deeply ignored. And the thing is that when you do see that, when you come to believe in Jesus, then that in turn affects your sight, the way you see things. I'll go back to a quote, another quote from C.S. Lewis, and Hayden's going to like me for this later on. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I then in turn see everything else. Your whole perspective has changed when you have Jesus in your life. And the capacity to see what you couldn't see before, what do we technically call that? The word for that is revelation. That's what happens when you have an aha moment. So that's what happens when you suddenly understand something that's been a mystery before. And how do you get the revelation? How do you see the light? 
And that, those two questions, how do you get the revelation, how do you see the light, are fundamentally important core aspect of Christian revelation. And that is that it's impossible to work it out yourself. The Bible is very clear throughout it that God must first disclose himself before the people can know him. God takes the initiative in revealing himself to people, in revelation. And, and why does he have to do that? Because he is transcendent. He's above our reality. He's so far above man in his mode of being that you couldn't possibly see him. Just like we can't see radio waves, we can't see gamma waves, we can't see x-rays, we can't see the stuff coming out of the phone towers that are around here just as well, otherwise we'd probably be very scared at all the stuff going through the atmosphere. But we know it exists. But that's something above us. And, and God is transcendent to our experience. So there's no way you can see unless he breaks down here into us. And let's look at some scripture which confirms that. John chapter 1 verse 18. How many people have seen God? No one has ever seen God. Moses saw the back of God, but nobody has seen God. But the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. And we'll see that thought teased out a bit more later on. 1 Timothy 6 verse 16 who alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. That's the transcendence of God. No one has seen or can see. And you can't find him by going on a big search. You can't, you can't type into Mr. Google and say, show me God. Job 11 verse 7 says, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? He goes on in chapter 23 and he says, well, if only I knew where to find him, if only I could go to his dwelling. But if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I don't find him there. When he's at work in the north, I don't see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. You can't find him by searching for him. And you can't work it out by your shrewd intelligence and your guesswork. Look at Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And there's a lot of people who won't accept that. They think that their thoughts are the same as God's. But he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your my ways, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, it's a long way. So are my ways higher than yours. A long way. And my thoughts than your thoughts. An enormous distance. And those things know, let us know that even if mankind had not sinned, they still wouldn't have known about God unless he revealed himself. And it's important for those of us who in our blindness think we can already see. We think, I already know. I Maybe I think, well, I'm a good person. God should be happy to have me as his buddy. But unfortunately for the people who think that way, 
the average little Aussie battler who thinks, well, I'm pretty decent. The problem is they have a measurement problem. They're not measuring themselves against God's standard, are they? Because God's standard is perfection. A picture of that might be, say you got a new car. I suppose some of you here have had a new car, haven't you? You get it home, the paintwork's immaculate, it's perfect, no burger wrappers in the back seat, no bugs on the windscreen. And how many of us drive that new car very carefully? We're very cautious with it. We've got our alertness on steroids until we get that first dent or that first scratch or that first blemish and we go, oh, can't stop it, I can relax now. Well, we all look like pretty good people if we just compare ourselves with the guy alongside us, don't we? But how would you fare comparing yourself against perfection? For that is God's standard. A person who has never sinned, he's the one who wants to spend eternity with us. And if we had any perfection, he's so perfect that we'd be consumed because of the imperfections in us. That's the standard we're measuring ourselves up against. And you wouldn't think that unless the Bible told you that. And yet there's more because unfortunately we have all sinned. And that affects our capacity to perceive divine things, doesn't it? It affects your capacity to understand transcendence, the transcendent God. And, if, and there's more, there's influences in our minds. We saw that in see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 because what's happened to our minds the God of this age has blinded the minds particularly of those who can't see God so they can't see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God we so it confirmed in 1 Corinthians that the person without the spirit of God does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish. And yeah, and, and that's exactly what we see. People say, oh, those Christians are a bit stupid. Or oh, they're foolish. And they can't understand what they're on about because what a Christian sees, a believer sees, is only discerned through the Holy Spirit. It's only through the Holy Spirit. The average Joe and Joanne's mind is prepossessed by their own wisdom, but it runs contrary to the wisdom of God. An average Joe and average Joanne is stuck in what they can work out themselves, what they can guess and come up with. Let's look to Romans chapter one, verse twenty. Stuck. We'll see what happens here. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature, they have been clearly seen and they've been understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's the next verse there, Em. And then in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased 
through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. And so what those verses are saying is it's beyond your natural powers, your natural intellect, to be able to work out and understand God. Even though he presents it to you all the time through his creation, through his providence, since the creation of the world. It's in there. Remind ourselves of that. Romans 1 verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, they have been clearly seen. It's right in front of your eyes. And providence, the fact that he sustains things in this area, chapter, Acts chapter 14 verse 17, it is not left himself without testimony. He's shown his kindness how? By giving you rain from the heavens. This is not just for believers, this is for all of his creation. And for the crops in their seasons. And he provides you with plenty of food and he fills your hearts with joy. And summed up in Psalm 19 verse 1, What do the heavens do? They declare the glory of God. And the skies themselves proclaim the works of his hands. So unfortunately... For humanity, the only way to work out what God is really like and what he's really after is for him to reveal himself to you. Because if he didn't do that, you wouldn't understand that you needed to be redeemed, that your sins needed to be paid for. You wouldn't understand that you're totally and utterly incapable of saving yourself by your own strengths, skills and abilities. You wouldn't understand just how wayward you are when you're living without God. And you can't correctly interpret the messages from God that he's been sending through creation, through sustaining the world, through weather, until it's revealed by God to us. Because we're blind until God opens our eyes to see that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And that all we need to know about how to live life is written down for us in the Bible. And we need the revelation, the ongoing revelation, to understand the Bible, don't we? Day by day as we read it, to see in it the, the reality of, of the truth of it, to see in it the, the reality of the authority for our lives and the way to live and to understand what's written in there. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us things like, truths like this. Let's have a look at this. Matthew 16, verse 25. Here's a deep one. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Very deep. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Holy Spirit needs to help you understand that. And in the next one, up to chapter 13 verse 11 to 17 he replied because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you we've been given secrets as believers secrets to the kingdom of heaven and John 3 take this verse truly I tell you no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again well that's a deep mystery profound being born again and whoever belongs in the next one whoever belongs to God hears what God says and the reason you don't hear is because you don't belong to God. You can't understand it. Then draw near to God that you may. And what about that ongoing revelation? See in John chapter 10 verse 26. 
But you do not believe because you are not my sheep, because my sheep listen to my voice. And I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's a great verse, that's that phrase there, I think, for someone today. No one can snatch you out of God's hand. No one. John chapter 12, verse 37. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, the Jews still would not believe him. We need revelation. Initiated by God to know God and to understand the Bible. But this, let's take that idea of knowing God and expand that a little bit because God, being God, must be incomprehensible to us. He's so much more we can't understand him, and yet we can know him. Can't understand him, but we can know him. That's what the Bible tells us. Be, to be incomprehensible means our minds can't fully grasp the knowledge of all there is to know about God, but we can know some things about God. And what we know about God can be a will within us that's pure, so pure, and we find in that truth, we find life in what we know from God. And it can be so refreshing like that world that it strengthens us day by day in our dusty and dry world. And it, it's accessible to all who want, to all who will, to the rich, to the poor, to the young, to the old, the educated, the simple, the sophisticated, the plain. It's a well. Jesus told us that in John 4, verse 14 and 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. So it was talking about an actual well. A lady came out to draw some water and said, Oh, anyone who drinks from that, they're going to get thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So that well... It's important to understand that knowledge about God should deepen our relationship with God. Because knowing God is not just like knowing objective facts and figures, knowing information which doesn't make any difference. Knowing information about God should increase our desire to know him. And then again, that revelation that comes to us is not just information without implications. We're, the word we've all been fighting against is mandatory these days. But there's a sense that if you know the truth, it's mandatory to live by it. Because it's true. Once you know the best way to live, once you know the best values to live, well then, it's mandatory to live them. So there's two main areas that God reveals to us. He reveals to us first his purposes. And then he reveals his person. And in the Old Testament, his person, God reveals his uniqueness as the maker and ruler of all things. He reveals in the Old Testament he's a holy God and he has awesome characteristics which just set him apart from us. He has majesty, he has greatness and strength and purity. He loves righteousness and he hates wrongdoing. And then his purposes, he, re he has a covenant. And that covenant 
reveals that he is faithful towards us and he is patient towards us and he is merciful towards us and is loyal to his own gracious purposes to protect and love a covenant people. And then when you come to the New Testament, all those things are still there, but the, the apostles bring a new revelation, just as significant, just as true as the Old Testament. The main new different thing they bring is that the one God, because it's one God in the Old Testament, in the New Testament he was revealed as being a triune, as having a father and having a son and having a spirit, all working together and all being three persons and yet only one God. So we see more of God revealed in the New Testament. But there's still two revelations to come. The New Testament reveals there are two revelations to come. One is the Antichrist and the other is Christ's return. We hear about the Antichrist still to come in 2 Thessalonians. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. And he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendour of his coming. It means that things will get worse because a man of lawlessness will appear but don't be worried because Jesus will overthrow by the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming which leads into what's the other thing to be revealed, be revealed yet in Christ coming 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7 therefore do not lack any you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for what? You eagerly wait for this new revelation still to come for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 7 to 10 and the, talking about this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. This is pretty amazing, isn't it? From heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. That will be a sight. And he will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And 1 Peter 1 verse 7 and 13. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold. I don't know where to put your, where to put your money. Put it in your faith because it's worth more than gold. Which perishes even though it's refined by fire that may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Still that revelation is still to come. But what is amazingly revealed is what God is like. In Jesus Christ, he actually is a physical representation of a transcendent, completely unseeable and unknowable spiritual being. God found a way for people to see him and to know him. And he did it by giving us Jesus. He spoke what God, the unseeable, is like in Jesus. Hebrews tells us that in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son, 
this is there's plenty of good stuff in this verse. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful work. And after he provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is the ultimate revelation. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. It's the crowning, it's the final revelation, the last word to humanity, and it's Jesus. That's why when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that is very, very deep. Confirm this truth in John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father. What has he done here? He's made him known. Don't be like Philip in John 14. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus' personal life was a perfect revelation of the character of God because all the fullness of the, of the divine dwelt in Jesus of Nazareth. Colossians, Paul confirms, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwelling in him. And 2 verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And equally, his work as the Messiah revealed perfectly that God wants to save the world. After all, Christ is the wisdom of God. So that's an aspect of him. He's revealing God. He's revealing God's wisdom. In 1 Corinthians one twenty-four. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Wisdom. But he's also a mediator, a go-between. In 1 Timothy 2 verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. This is that same man, Jesus Christ. So all God's saving purposes are worked out. All the wisdom that man needs for his salvation may be found where? In Colossians 2.3, they're found in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's in Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 1, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness. You want to know where to be right, to be righteous, to be holy, to be redeemed in Christ Jesus. So the revelation also of the plan of God through Jesus. Paul declared that the mystery of God's good pleasure for saving of the church and restoring the cosmos, how about that? saving the church, that's us, restoring the cosmos through Christ has been revealed now. It was a secret kept hidden until Jesus came in Romans 16 now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel the message I proclaim about Christ Jesus in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long past now we declare God's wisdom a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time it's a, there's a mystery revealed in Jesus and what's this to put it in the closest thing Ephesians 3 verse 6 this mystery is 
that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and share us together in the promise of Christ Jesus. So the mystery finally revealed is that anyone in the whole world can spend eternity with Jesus, not just his chosen people. So just a little closing note about this nature of revelation, and that is that it's primarily and fundamentally verbal communication. It's logos, it's rhema, it's words or utterances. See, we need the words to know that God is speaking when we look at that creation. We need the words to know that that's God speaking to us. We need him to speak the words and make clear that these are the works of his hand because we could never have worked it out. We could never have deduced it ourselves. We could never have deduced it unless Jesus had told us. And that's why the written word of God is powerful and we need to elevated in our estimation of its significance because the words crystallize and reveal the truth to us. The words of God are dripping with divinity. So I'll finish with a story about Thomas Aquinas. Some of you might have heard of that. Some people went to Aquinas for their education. Um, Thomas Aquinas was a theologian back in the 1200s. And he wrote a massive theological work, one of the greatest intellectual achievements of the time in the Western civilization. He had 38 books, treatises, treatises, treatises. He wrote 3,000 articles. He had 10,000 objections, which he wrote things to. And he tried to gather together in one book or one set of books all of truth he wanted to combine what they thought about psychology political theory and theology all what the Christians should be thinking about those and then on December the 6th 1273 he abruptly stopped why well he was celebrating mass in the chapel of St Thomas and he caught a glimpse of eternity in other words, he had a revelation. And he suddenly knew that all his efforts to describe God fell so short of the reality of God that he decided never to write again. And when his secretary tried to encourage him to no, get back into it, keep writing, and he said, I can't write. I can do no more. Such things have been revealed to me and all that I have written seems as so much straw. Friends, true revelation from God is astounding. It's holy. It's deep. Tread respectfully when you say, Lord, please let me have a glimpse of you. Be prepared to have your world changed. Be prepared to see. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, in this moment, we know that the starting point of seeing is confessing that we don't see. 
that we are sinners and we are in need of a holy God. So as we pause here and uh, we want to run everything through our own capacity to understand, we want to run everything through our own desire to uh, understand and to know, let us lay that down and say, okay, Lord, please show me what I'm not seeing. And if you're willing to pray that prayer, please show me what I'm not seeing. And God can reveal things that will astound you. For his transcendence is more than we can think, see or imagine. Praise be the holy God. Amen. Our final song, I Come to the Altar, is really about you being willing to do that. To come and say, Lord, if I'm not seeing anything, please open my eyes to see. <laughs>